0: welcome to in search of wisdom a podcast by the perennial leader project on today's episode my guest is dr brian russell the author of centering prayer brian is a return guest to the show I'm grateful he agreed to come back on to have a conversation on the discipline of discernment. Brian is a professor of biblical studies and a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually minded professionals. As you'll hear in the episode, he is someone with an interesting and wise perspective on the world. In the conversation, Brian and I discuss what is discernment? The Obstacles to Discerning Wisely, How Contemplative Practices Help Us Discern, Navigating Life's Questions, The Wisdom of Discernment, and so much more. Brian also has a podcast called the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations Podcast, and you can learn more about Brian's work in the world at brianrussellphd.com. All right, without any further delay, I now bring you the wise and gracious Dr. Brian Russell.
1: Well, Brian, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's always great to be here. Thank you for the kind invitation back.
0: Oh, thank you. As we were just chatting before I hit record, I'm grateful. For the opportunity to connect again. And I appreciate you coming on and agreeing to talk about the discipline of discernment. And I have to say, the, the topic was inspired by a couple solo episodes that you've done over the past few months. One was on essentially the power of questions, and another on mindsets. So I'm curious to kick it off. What gave you the idea to do those two those, those two solo episodes.
1: Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. Those two solo episodes were inspired by essentially my journaling practices that I do. And even my desire as a, uh, as a father, to, uh, we were talking about that off uh, camera too. I'm trying to you know, help both of my daughters think about next steps and you know, and in my coaching comes up and people ask questions and and at some level, you know, I'm 53 now, and it's and you know, and, and I've I've enjoyed some measure of at least career success. And it and you and like even now you know, I was starting finishing up another book, like you know, 20 years ago I couldn't get a book contract. Now I have a couple of book contracts, so it makes it look like, oh, everything's easy for Brian. Um you know, and it has been easier the last couple of years, but it's not like, but so I've been trying to like deconstruct backwards what actually happened because there's that whole learning process. Um, you know, we start off, it's what, the, what's called, um, unconscious incompetence. doesn't mean you're dumb, but you literally, at some point in your life, you don't even know what you don't know. And then you get the root awakening and you realize, What you it's then you get conscious incompetence and you know what you don't know and that's really scary, but if you stick with something, suddenly you can become consciously competent. Where if you you know have wisdom, you have a wisdom, you have principles, you know you have the instructions in front of you, you can make it happen, and then you get to that place of unconscious competence where you don't even have to think about it and stuff just kind of works. And I think one of the challenges in our world. Is, you know, because we have a crisis of confidence. I've observed this in younger generations. And by younger, I mean even people in their 30s struggle sometimes with, you know, can I make my way through the world? You know, that's one of the reasons I really appreciate your work with the, the, this whole perennial leadership and wisdom, is like f- folks have lost um, the skills, the mindsets, the habits that if implemented, you don't get instant success. But you create a patterns in your life that again, a quotation I've always found helpful was um, "ordinary things done consistently over time yields extraordinary results." And you know, we look at people on social media that seem like things are happening for them, or even, you know, like I'll actually end up publishing like three books in five years, which I've never—I mean, I've never done that. But if but so, how did that happen? Well, I backed up and I thought what were the questions that I was asked that led to my growth? And then, you know, another angle into that was like, um, what were the decisions or mindsets that I was either taught or I figured out that I took action on that have led me to this place. And, you know, another angle I'm going to go at with another episode is is I'm going to go back through them. And it's, this is going to be really long just because I've, I've read too much, but I'm trying to do the same thing with the books, that I read at the different times. So that's going to be coming up. And I've just been trying to think backwards with a sense of, could you follow the, you know, the breadcrumb trail to how did I get to this place in my life? Um, where, um, you know, if you could have asked me when I was a little kid, um, you know, what would you like to be like? I would say, you know, my life hasn't gone perfectly as I've shared pretty openly, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a professor and write books when I was like five or six years old, and <laughs> I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, but but it, it wasn't like it was easy, and it just you know the job didn't just man you know just pop into my life. And so I've just been you know that's a long answer, but it was just my own curiosity and wanting then to maybe to say hey, you know what, get a hold of what your goals are, your dreams, and start doing the small things now. That would open up the, the possibility. Then again, other things have to go right too. And I've been blessed in many ways. Um, but you want to kind of create your own luck. Now, we're not, and we're not cutting God out and providence out of the whole thing. But in a sense, um, you know, I think I even put it on one of those podcasts. It's like they have those sayings, like the got the gods help those who help themselves. If there's no wind, row. You know, this mm-hmm. kind of these funny little statements that. There's ways of making your way through the world that you can do it with integrity that kind of help um, to bring, um, you know, bring the things and the people into your life that, uh, you know, that you dream about. Mm.
0: Well, I enjoyed both of those episodes and a number of these solo episodes that you've done. And the idea of discernment has been on, in on my mind for the last six months or so in the way of just, we are faced with many more questions and decisions than we realized, than we realize, like you, you mentioned one of that maybe the big question that some people don't have as much clarity on as you did of around five or six, you knew I want to be a professor, I want to do this. But we also have all these like small questions, little forks in the road everywhere. Why do you think the term discernment is so
1: seldomly used or or discussed? I think it's a product of essentially the loss of faith overall in in the Western world, at least, because discernment is actually, uh, a spiritual term about decision-making, like, you know, like you see it in the, in the scriptures. And, and I didn't come on the podcast just to quote from the Bible, but I, you know, but I was, when I was th- just thinking about what we might talk about a little bit, I mean, it's, it's, it was actually one of the spiritual gifts. It was uh, like, for example, like this is just first Corinthians 12, uh, 10, Paul was just listing a variety of gifts that the spirit would have given the body, I mean the church, and just right in verse 10, like it says, to another working miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits. And you know, what he's what's he talking about? It's like, you know, a simple basic question for anybody who has any kind of faith. And this I think this would be regardless of one's religion, is when you get a, a kind of a prompting how can you decide whether that's actually from God or from someone else? Um, You know, like maybe for Christians, this from God or from the devil. I mean, I don't think anybody usually thinks in the extremes, but I mean, that would be the classic thing. God on one shoulder, the devil on the other, or maybe how do I know if it's the voice of God or just my own unconscious, Um, you know, all those kind of things. So I think it's the reason I don't hear the word is, um, that's a it's a, it's, a, it's essentially a- it doesn't have to be, but it's a it's a a religious word that gets deep back into, I think, you know, philosophy and uh things that we don't uh, that we don't value as much uh, today. Hmm. Let me ask you a question.
0: I was looking back at a a newsletter article that i I put out a few months back, and I, it was something along the lines of like discerning life's questions. And I was, I was looking, there was lots of people outside maybe a, a spiritual tradition talking about life, basically posing a question to us. To quote specifically Carl Jung, and I think Viktor Frankl said something very similar, says, The meaning of my existence is that life has addressed a question to me. You know, is that something, d- does that feel true to you that there are, are questions and, you know, Viktor Frankl says, it's like, you know, that meaning of life, basically don't ask that question, you
1: know, think about what life is questioning us. Yeah, I, I actually like that. I hadn't quite heard it formulated that way, uh, but I, I like that, that life presents us with a question in um, you know, and maybe part of the answer is you know. Then we have to discern what that is. But uh, I, you know, part of the issue ends up is we want certainty, and you know, instead of in the in the um, absence of discernment, what we tend to see modeled is it's a related word is people are really quick to judge, mm. um, but not so much patient to discern or be willing to live in a question. And instead, you know, I, you know, I think our part of us wants that just give me the answer.
0: Yeah, that that's so true of, it seems to definitely be a skill to live with a question for even just a few months. You know, if you let a question run in the background for three or six months, what are some other obstacles that, you know, come to mind when you think of, discerning wisely?
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think obstacles, uh, and, and, and by naming some of these, I'm also going to be naming some of the potential solutions, because usually in the obstacles, you can actually find the solution. But I think obstacles would be if, you know, and I'll talk, speak just in my own first person language, if I don't know what my actual center is, <laughs> it's really hard to discern. Like, so for example, I think it's like an an obstacle to being a good at discerning would be, you know, what are the values that actually govern my life? Um, Another obstacle would be uh, what, what wisdom tradition do I draw off of to help me discern right so you know like you know we talk as you know as christians you, we always have the scriptures but you know most your religions have holy books and then even within you know christianity and you know as we've talked on and about you know, the work that you share is you have this whole wisdom tradition that come out of the greco-roman world all of that body of work at some level gives us a center out of which uh you can um discern a way through, uh, complexity. And, and I think that, so that's the name of other obstacle is it's just complexity itself. And it's not like the modern world is more complicated than it was in the past. There's still all these big questions, but <clears throat> I think one of the problems, and this would be an obstacle to, you know, to discernment would be, um, The distractions of the modern world make it difficult to do the sometimes slow work of discerning the right answer because the way social media works, uh, news cycles, even email. um, I mean, we can use what we're talking on Zoom, which is great for this. But like if, you know. Instead of having to take a trip and I'm going to travel for like, you know, maybe three days on a horse to go talk, do a business meeting, I can I have to like, well, geez, I got to get on in 10 minutes and talk to somebody in another part of the country. There's just not, we, we've we cut the, we don't have time for the process. And so at some level that increases stress. And I think, um, um, you know, we talked, I, I, I talk about the unholy trinity, fear, guilt, shame. I think those three things can be another obstacle because that ratches up. Inner noise that makes it harder for us to discern, and you know, maybe under all of this stuff, it maybe under all of this stuff, it'd be the question: um, Who do I really trust? Right? So, whose testimony? Who uh, am I going to trust? And you just, you know, so, you know, so maybe in our modern world, we've we've lost scripture at some level. We've lost appreciation for wisdom from the past. Um, we've lost um, the ability to be still. We are still stuck with fear, guilt, and shame without viable means of turning those voices down. You put all it together, that's a lot of obstacles that make it difficult to be, like you said, and stew over a question without just being overwhelmed with anxiety or just, or even worse, opting for the lowest hanging fruit answer, which might give the illusion of fixing the problem quickly, but then has second, third, fourth order problems that just makes things worse over time.
0: I'd love to stay with the fear, guilt, shame for, uh, for a minute. Yeah. It seems like when I was thinking of this obstacles to discerning, you know, someone that's sitting there, there's a fork in the path this way, that way there can be this paralysis of looking for some sort of perfect path. And it's, I don't know, to me, it's like the fear, guilt, shame sometimes in my own experience can come up from unrealistic expectations that there is some sort of path in life that is free of mistakes and all of this sort of stuff. I, um, As you know, I I spent my adult life in the military, and something I, I did many, many times in the military. If you put these briefs together where it includes maybe three courses of action, and within that, you're identifying some pros and cons for each of those. And if you do it honestly, you know, you see that there isn't a single course of action that doesn't have some downsides. It just doesn't exist. There is no sort of perfect course of action. And I don't know, to me, it seems like that can cause, you know, some fear and anxiety of, of maybe striving for perfection.
1: I, I absolutely agree. As, as, as I was kind of just thinking through some of the stuff we might talk about, because there's always external obstacles which is the presenting problem most of the time that we're trying to make discernment about? But you know, like you just named it, there's that sense of in, uh, internal paralysis. It's the um, you might call it the inner resistance. You know, like even like Stephen Pressfield, like his War yeah. of he talks about the resistance that you have to overcome even to write a book that you say you want to write, and you know, and get anything done. And so, and I think that is the the guilt, the shame, and the fear just kind of amplified. Because the the opposite of those three things would essentially be, um, you know, would be number one, fear, you mitigate fear with trust, uh, uh, that Mm. there's something bigger than yourself that's in play here. And again, that could be a religious statement, doesn't necessarily have to be, but that's a a statement. Um, The shame, you can mitigate that with just a sense of, um, you know what? Um, I am enough, you know, that that's the antidote. And then, and this is where that, I think that really affects decisions because when you have a sense where you can live out of trust, I mean, I'm going to live open-handed. I can be willing to surrender a little bit more, which means I might even be wrong. I can get over the fear of being wrong. Um, the guilt, the shame piece that a sense of enoughness, um, when you know, you're enough, it's not about you anymore and you can ditch the ego because our tendencies, and I know this from my own life is you try to compensate for the sense that you're not enough by, okay, I have to be the smartest guy in the room. I mean, you know, looking, you know, here I am, look at all the books I've read. I've even, you know, since I've been thinking about this, I was like, like, why do I always have books behind me when I'm talking? Maybe it's because it's like my front for myself. Hey, I'm a professor. I've read all these books, but, but if you could know that you're enough, you can, start removing the ego and the ego is always wants to protect us. Um, and when we discern, you know, the best decisions ultimately are those win wins for the world, which means sometimes the best decision might actually go against a little bit against us personally. And to make that kind of a call, um, you know, you got it, you got to have the ego under control, you know, and then you can throw the, you know, the, the, you know, the guilt piece, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't do enough. Well, how about just be loved? Know that you're loved as the antidote to that. And then, you know, going along with being able to surrender and trust, being able to have no ego. Now I can just be more loving. You know, I can put myself in that position where I'm making a decision out of a deep sense of trust that there's something bigger at stake. I can make a decision, with out worrying about how I'm going to look on the other side of the decision, um, Mm. and then be able to choose because I know that, you know, I'm loved completely regardless of this decision, then maybe I can even be a little braver and make a more loving decision in the way that's going to impact others. Um, but to me, that's, that's getting rid of the, that's, that's the, push against the noise and, and everything I'm talking about, it's not easy. And I've, you know, I've just actually been thinking about this stuff the last couple of weeks, to be honest. It's so fun that, that this is coming out on this episode. So it's good timing, but, um, that's probably more than maybe you were looking for, but, uh, that's, that's how I've been kind of connecting that to discernment.
0: No, I think it's great. If we could stay here for just, a a little bit more time, shame in this thing of being lovable is something that's always stuck with me. Uh, Thomas Merton, I, I think it's in No Man is an Island, but maybe elsewhere. He writes something along the lines of exploring all the ways that we are not lovable. Very counterintuitive and maybe a, a paradox to come to the realization that That in spite of it all, we are lovable. And you think of this shame, I'm not enough. You know, the lovable thing kind of connects, it kind of makes sense in a way of, well, love is unconditional. Of course, it's, you know, loving ourselves, realizing that we are enough, seeing through this you know, illusion of of shame that's that's not really, really there. You know, how do you think about that of exploring basically, uh, you know, in the Christian tradition, and I think it's in many other traditions, you know, even Seneca says more or less we are all sinners. You know, how do you think about exploring a bit of our darkness, you know, a bit of in the ways that we are unlovable to find a home and and
1: and realize
0: that that we are
1: yeah you just i mean you just said it really well and the only thing i would just um add to what you said is um and this you know i'm certain this is how merton found it and i would never claim to you know um have experienced the stuff like merton has done because i haven't had the i didn't have haven't had the privilege or the calling to be a, a monastic but um You know, we we met over my work on the centering prayer, which was um, you know similar to what Merton would have done for thousands and thousands of hours in at Gethsemane. Is um, it's the it's the to get to that place that you're talking about um, is it's spending time literally in silence. Which again, silence isn't the absence of sound because as soon as you're in silence, it's all the inner sound that you become acutely aware of and you just see the complexity of of your inner life um the good and the bad and at least within a a, you know like just in a christian position um just the nature of god is being this all-knowing all-loving being it you know i can still remember sitting in silence and i probably even said this on the your the very first time we spoke on your podcast but um you know like i just realized um I'm sitting there. I'm supposed to be sitting in front with in silence before Jesus, the God who, you know, dies on a cross for me. And all I am is just, you know, really angry on the inside. And I'm playing all these looping tapes. You know, and then I'd even slide in. I've said this so many times, but it's still kind of embarrassing. Then I'd start having like sexual thoughts and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, what am I, like, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be sitting here with God. And, you know, and what was actually happening is like I was. Having a completely normal experience, I didn't know it at the time, but it's normal for anybody who spends time in silence, that entire vice tradition of the Christian faith known as the seven deadly sins. That wasn't just to describe wicked people out there. That was a description of the interior life for anybody that spent time alone. And so in the irony of that, and you already named it, it's like you see the shadow of yourself Um, You see beautiful things, too, because but you become acutely aware um, that, you know, like I like to say, I'm a man who continuously needs grace and I'm 100 percent aware of that. However, in those moments when you become aware, well, geez, God knows all of this and I don't have to hide this anymore. I can just release the ugliness of my interior life. Let, and let God essentially, you know, God, the divine plumber, let him come in and drop some of his Drano in there and unclog the pipes. And, and in those moments you realize <clears throat> it's not that God hasn't loved me unconditionally the whole time. It's my own junk that I think has made me unlovable that actually blocks God's love from flowing in. So time and silence allows us to re- surrender that and we then get those experiences and uh, you know, I know that you, you've read uh, some Tillich uh, from like the courage to be, but one of Tillich's, um, I think it's in a sermon that he did. He desc- he defines grace as accepting the fact that you're unconditionally accepted, and I think it's in those moments that's what we're really talking about. When you can face your own shadow and you can see it, and not push it back down, don't hide it, and just give it to God. In those moments, the irony is, um, you experience unconditional love by essentially owning. The darkness.
0: Mm.
1: And it seems like other
0: contemplative type of traditions point to a similar a similar thing. So maybe for anyone listening that is not familiar with like contemplative type of practices or stillness practices, maybe if you could give a, a brief intro into that. And connect the dots to how that might come into play for uh, discernment. I think it could be really helpful.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I'll uh, I'll just describe the contemplative things. And I'll try to make a, a, a transition back to the, the, the discerning things. And you can do stillness. There's lots of different practices. Um, but let, let me just share two quick ones. Um, journaling because a lot of people just can't sit still and and so but journaling is a great caveat and one of the things that helped me along with the centering prayer which i'll talk about in a minute was um i would always write down what i was grateful for in the morning but then i would ask myself a question um um what's bothering me today and i would just sit there and write in my journal and and then what are you doing when you're writing in your journal you're actually you're in silence. And how do you know what's bothering you? Well, you'll feel sensations in your body. Like I know now when I'm stressed, I feel this little pain on the back of my shoulder. And you'll, a lot of times people will feel anxiety in their like solar plexus area, or they'll feel tightness in their heart. And at, at a certain point in my life, I was just, you know, I was trying to put myself back together. And I would just like, you know what, I feel terrible in my body. I wonder what's really going on and I would just ponder, you know, and, and I would just make myself write down my thoughts because that's what we're talking about in a stillness practice because we have thoughts running through our minds continuously. And, and by the way, in case everybody doesn't know contemplative practices, don't erase your brain or turn it off. They put us in a position where you can kind of step back and sort of observe what you're thinking so you can do that with a journal by writing down your thoughts or as so we can move into like a, a like a more of a, a silent meditative practice which in a christian tradition calls centering prayer which could become contemplative prayer and that you're just you you know you close your eyes like you're like you're praying pick a prayer word again if you're a christian i just suggest using jesus because that's who you're ultimately sitting before anyway and then as soon as or whenever you find yourself fixated on a particular thought. Um, you know, like like say we're going to try to discern something and she can be thinking about something good. You're trying to solve a problem. Well, for this period, I'm not going to think about the problem. I'm just going to surrender that. So when, I, when something, I become focused on idea, I just say to myself, Jesus, and that breaks up the thought. But when you do that practice, you'll become aware of the different kind of thoughts that float through your brain. And you'll just notice there's, crazy thoughts, you know, random thoughts, meaningless thoughts, sometimes profound thoughts and also sometimes really troubling thoughts, but you just kind of see it all and it's an and it's kind of like the journal you're writing stuff down but instead in the centering prayer you're basically saying Jesus, I want to be in your presence so much that I'm willing to surrender whatever comes in my head to you so that I can just be still and hopefully hear your voice speaking and ultimately if we were going to talk about contemplative prayer, it's the idea that Again, this is not the perfect language because I'm not going to suggest God has a soul, but it's kind of like a soul-to-soul connection with God. And when perhaps its most beautiful moments, God is praying through us instead of us trying to pray through God. And again, that's kind of a mystical thing. And that doesn't happen, at least in my own experience, very often. And when it does happen, it really just feels like pure love, but that doesn't happen all the time. But it's mostly realizing my thoughts. And so to kind of get back to discernment, um contemplative practices help with discernment because time and silence makes you really aware of your biases our propensity to make protective judgments on others or even on ourselves or in our circumstances that come out of really fear guilt and shame that aren't coming from a place of love and so you know that'd be the caveat we can learn to move into discernment by recognizing how much of our inner life is really governed um, by fear. Hmm. Let me
0: ask you that question that you brought up initially, what's bothering me today to sit with that. Are you experiencing resistance to even, you know, you bring that question, what's bothering me today? Is it common to maybe get a bit of resistance to even explore that?
1: For me, not anymore because I would have to say, I mean, again, I've been doing that question for like almost twelve years now, and early on, well, and again, you know, you you know my story, but I mean, I, I had gone through this really difficult divorce, and so I was trying to put myself back together, and one of the ideas that. I would say I give us to God that uh, as I wanted to come out on the other side of this whole thing, um, better, not bitter. Mm -hmm. And so, so grateful for this, too. And one of my earliest prayers to God um, was, uh, Lord, um, bring all the darkness inside of me into your light so that I can be healed, which is kind of a in retrospect, kind of a crazy Prayer, um, and I wasn't. I don't know if I was fully prepared for all the darkness that was going to be revealed, but but I was basically asking for it. And that question, again, and early on, um, you, you don't always you you can't always get to what the roots are. You can tell, like, oh, I'm bothered because I had a you know disagreeable stick thing with a conversation with a colleague. You know, I'm worried. Am I going to have money for this week? So a lot of times it's just presenting things or I just feel this pain and I'm I'm not really sure it's bothering me, but it's, it's really, it's more of, it's getting one of these habits and slowly, as long as you're honest, um, and, uh, you know, you can't lie to yourself when you're doing this, you gotta be willing to really ponder, open up and write down. But, um, you know, so there is resistance, but I was at the same time, the resistance I was experiencing when I was doing the exercise had already come after that. I said, I was willing to actually mm. take the test if you will. Right. And so, um, but you know, it, it gets back to, you know, I, I don't know if I, I, I think I shared this with Brandon on his podcast, but you know, one of my favorite um, souls and quotes from the Gulag archipelago was that was something like um, if only it were uh, simple that uh, there were evil people out there somewhere and we can just eliminate them from the world Um, But the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man or cuts through the heart of every man. And who wants to cut a piece of their own heart out? You know, because of circumstances, um, maybe it was because of even my upbringing in in Christianity that I really was going to trust that God was going to get me through this. Um, I was willing to let God cut a piece of my own heart out. Mm. Well, I appreciate you
0: sharing that, that for sure, it seems to be an important, I tend to put it in a category of maybe like a worldview or, or view and belief about human nature. The, uh, the episode you did on the power of questions, if we think about some sort of question, what would make today a great day, the response to that could be something very divine and, and beautiful and something very dark and, and evil. And it seems to be important to, at least in my view, to realize that we are capable of having both of those type of thoughts that come in. Because if you think of some of the people that have done some really evil things, they were probably asking themselves some of these types of questions. And it the question itself doesn't necessarily lead to to the good life and something you write in in your book uh, centering prayer is that we're not our thoughts you know we're it's and, and to me that seems to be the most important thing from a stillness practice whether centering prayer mindfulness meditation whatever it may be coming to some sort of realization that we're not our thoughts but we get to discern, and pick, you know, which of those thoughts we actually put into to action. I was brainstorming maybe other practices that someone could come to this, this realization. I was thinking I used to do a lot of uh, um, long distance running as a young person, you know, endurance sports. And that's something... You know, you get to mile five and you're getting all sorts of thoughts that are telling you to stop or slow down. Why are you doing this? Another thing I was thinking of was even just the uh, the act of reading. You can get 10 minutes into something and without your control, you're getting thoughts coming in of you're sitting down to read this book and you're getting thoughts about what are you going to make for dinner or, you know, who, who knows what is coming in you know, any other things come, come to mind? How do you think about maybe other ways beyond a, a stillness practice to realize that we're not our
1: thoughts? I, I think the other thing would be, um, there's the, like this, for example, if you're trying to think about an action and this would be like, a lot of times we'll use the English word should like, should I do this or should I do that? And should's one of those really interesting words. Um, mm. And I've heard other people say this, so this isn't original to me, but I've I've, but I've but really kind of taken it to heart. And, I've, and even in my coaching is like, I've kind of come to the point where you shouldn't do anything. Um, it either needs to be a must or maybe you don't need to do it. because. And so like when you hear the word should, like if that's a thought that, you know, like I sh- maybe I should do this. I think it's really an interesting question would be, why and so i think sometimes and this isn't so much a stillness practice but just ask yourself why and who thinks i should do this right and so and maybe sometimes when we think we're making a decision what we're really just doing is reenacting something my own dad taught me or my mom or maybe a grandparent or what you heard from you know some someone in the past but that was their position. It wasn't yours, and it also wasn't the voice of God. And so I think sometimes just asking, when you think, if, if, if you get to the point of should, it's like, why? And just ask that question. I think that can help. Um, I think another thing that can help you at least um, discern your thinking is conversations with like-minded persons who you trust who, you know, have your best interests at heart and love you enough that they'll push back on you. And, you know, and that's super hard because it's hard to give feedback to somebody you care about. because You don't want to hurt them, but it's also hard to receive feedback. But if we could, again, this gets back to the ego thing, especially when we're discerning hard things, I think sometimes go to wise people. You know, I, you know, I've talked on, you know, like I can just name people that, you know, I trusted with decisions. And some of these were my mentors, like men like Bob Toddle. He's 81 right now. But when I got into a really difficult position, I, I would talk to Bob. Um, I had other professors. That, they're my colleague. Well, John be another name that comes. He helped me a lot when I was younger. He's in his eighties now. Um, I have friends that are my age. I mean, kind of like Matt, this is where the whole idea of like a mastermind comes in, but within the Christian tradition, this was always called Christian conferencing, get around people that share the same values and n- say the things that you're thinking about and just, and be willing then to allow other people to talk you through those and try to show you, um, you know, maybe affirm or confirm some of the things that you're thinking about, but also challenge them. So I think there can be a communal pl- piece And that. And by the way, that's another thing that we've lost in our world, right? Uh, most people think community is, you know, getting on Twitter and getting mad about the same stuff or everybody else is mad about. But you don't really find places, you know. And I don't know, like you guys, the Walled Garden, you're all trying to create an, a context for really deep conversations about these big questions. But that's uh, that's another loss of the modern world that we don't we aren't around people of different generations, different perspectives. Um, you know, and you've even you know named books. you you can lose, you can become aware of, you get sidetracked in your thoughts, but good books can help you create new thoughts also. Those would be, I think I'm answering your question. Those would be a couple of things that come to mind. Oh, I, I love it. And I, I think even, um,
0: you know, as you talk about these mentors, other people, it's like you're broadening your actual view like many people talk about the discipline of perception and things like that. Well, it's like, well, you're doing that to make a wiser decision. It's not just a, to see a, a clearer picture or broaden your thing. And that's what I think, as you're talking about in the way of books, like there may be people listening, you know, maybe they don't know or have a connection with someone that, you know, has some, a wise perspective, if you will. But in the way of books, like for me, as you were talking, I'm thinking of, you know, Seneca, like Thomas Merton, those are two. And, um, and I also think of, of Thomas Aquinas when he was looking to answer some of these questions in these thousands of, of pages. But, I mean, he wasn't necessarily just going off his perspective. He had a point of view, but it's what does Aristotle have to say? What does Augustine have to say and and you mentioned something in the way of um of Tillich. i i'd heard the name quite a bit i wasn't familiar with the with him at all and um from your episodes you know i i just recently in the last few weeks uh picked up the courage to be just a phenomenal book yeah, you really know is. it's deep <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and just something i was you know so it's like a new perspective of of things to help us make a a wiser decision as we start to wrap up i, I want to bring in one other point and get your your take on it there's this newer book on kind of decision making i guess you would call it called uh, wild problems that i i started not too long ago by russ roberts and he he talks about uh he uses this example of of darwin he was he did basically a pro and con list for whether to get married or not and he puts it in the book you can have you know access to it it's it's kind of funny and you think about these that's one of those big discernment decisions of you know should i get married start a family and things like that and there are some decisions where of course we can make some pro and con list and and Darwin's con list was way longer than the pro list and then at the end of it you know he decided to get get married and some of these con lists that he came up with just never happened you know we're just not very good at predicting the future sometimes we have to embark on a particular path or have some sort of trust and and maybe just step into a bit of uncertainty if, if you will. How do you think about big decisions and decisions that we just don't quite know any sort of answer to until we, you know, are halfway down it?
1: Right. Well, you named it right things. I mean, because you aren't always going to make the right decision. I mean, there's that old quote, the is human, right? Um, <laughs> so the, the questions of being part of this, this, this is a whole nother can of worms, so I'm just going to name it. And, um, but You have to approach life with curiosity, with a growth mindset, because there's there's very few decisions, even if it went wrong, that you couldn't make a comeback somehow if it happened. And I think that's where, like, some of the stoic, you know, some of the little exercises, you know, kind of pondering the worst or Seneca saying, you know, eat stale bread once a month and, you know, wear shabby clothes and say, is this the thing that I feared because. because you can make a comeback from again most things. It doesn't mean your life isn't going to change, but you make you can make a poor decision, and it's not like that's going to be the end. So I think we have to, you know, have to to name um, to name that. Um, we can't be afraid of uncertainty because uh, the only people that know the future are people that you shouldn't listen to because they would have to be ideologues at some level and they're and, cause nobody knows the future, you know, um, even, you know, Jesus said like, w- when's, uh, you know, when's the end going to come only God, the father knows he didn't, he said that he didn't even know. Right. So it's like, okay. So Jesus doesn't know. And, and then since there's uncertainty, this is, I think where it comes back um, to how are we forming ourselves? And so it's, and and this would get back to like daily practices in the Christian tradition. We call this like a rule of life, but you can call it rhythms. It's like the best thing that we could do today is put together um, spiritual exercises for ourselves that we're going to commit to practicing daily. Um, that, so that over the course of my lifetime, those things are going to pay dividends. And so that puts us in a position then in the face of uncertainty and literally, you know, there's sometimes where you really do have to make a decision. And sometimes the worst decisions are when it's two really good things. You know, like, let's just say, I mean, again, this wasn't my experience, but go back to Darwin. Let's say Darwin had a choice. It wasn't to get married or not. Is like, let's say he had two different women and they were both fantastic. Um, how do you choose between two really good things, right? Because when it's a good thing and a bad thing, it's pretty easy to make a choice most of the time. And and I think at that point, this is um this is something I learned kind of recently. But it it's it comes out of some of my coaching and some of my reading because like I I think one of the most important things we can do for ourselves is um, work out what our values are. Now again, an evil person can have e- evil values, but If we're committed to reading good books, being around high quality people, being part of some kind of, you know, I would say find some kind of faith community or a group that has shared values that are honorable, that have long, deep roots, then you can construct your own personal values. And then one of the things you can do when you come to one of these forks is because you, again, the pressure of the moment creates all that inner resistance, again, all that inner noise that can make it hard to make this decision. But then you want to think, and this will sound morbid, um, but I think this is related to Stoicism in some ways too. But I, I've heard this from a, a writer named Gay, Gay Hendricks, who he does, he talks about the Stoics sometimes, but he's more of a c- psychologist, but he talks about picture yourself on your deathbed <laughs> And the presumption is you've had you know, you're lived as long as you want. So even part of the question would be like, okay, well, how old are you going to be? And so, you know, like I'll say, okay, I'm going to be 95 when I die. Just throwing a number out there. And the next thing is, okay, you've lived a great life and everything's gone really well. Um, what has to have been true? Um, you know, how would you have had to have lived to be there, no regrets on your deathbed? I mean, those are what your values really are. And then from that perspective, you could say, okay, I'm going to be on my deathbed. I'm going to look back at this crossroad, taking all the circumstances of the present out. And now we're projected out, you know, it's, so that'd be like 40 years from now for me and looking back, like, um, what would have been the decision that was most aligned with the values that I claim to have embodied for my whole life mm-hmm. and, that I think that's a powerful decision maker when it's a tight question and when you're not really sure. Um, but it's giving yourself that long game perspective because, again, sometimes the temptation is to go short term and then make what seems to be maybe the easier decision that ends up creating problems down the road. So, I, I mean, that's that's kind of what I would toss out there. I mean, I think
0: that's a, a beautiful way to, to wrap it up, honestly, Brian. If you wouldn't mind, could you share a little bit with the listeners about, you know, what you're up to, your podcast book and, and how they might be able to connect?
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, probably, the, the, you know, the easiest way if you want to check out um, really all all the things that I do, you can go to BrianRussellPhD.com. You can find a link to my podcast, which is called uh, Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations. Um, you can see some of the books I've written. You can find out about my coaching and then also all my social media links are on there. But, you know. Basically, what I'm really up to is, um, you know, I'm kind of in this um, rebooting period for myself thinking about what's the next, um, you know, 25, 30 years going to look like for me. And, uh, you know, so what I'm really trying to do right now is just put out really good content that I hope helps people. Again, I put it out from a Christian perspective. If you go to my YouTube channel, which you can just look up Deep Dive Spirituality with Brian Russell on YouTube, um, I have lots of videos that you can also find my video cast and my podcast. Um, really committed now to just helping people to come up with these foundational practices, the spiritual formation practices that would allow us, again, over time to kind of to grow into the people that God created us to be. So that, that's essentially what I would say my mission is. It's the walk. The path before me, you know, I love like this is probably my, going can be my favorite thing I do today is talking to you. I love having really great conversations with um, like-minded people. We can share good stuff with the world. And um, I just essentially try to bless and serve everybody, you know, one person at a time. Mine as
0: well, Brian, thank you so much for coming back on in search of wisdom.
1: Oh yeah, this is great. Thank you for the questions and always a privilege.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice.